Hey, this is Ben Floyd, Head of Execution Services at Coinbase. Last week, we held a conversation in our New York office with the founder and president of Immutable. Robbie was interviewed by David Duong, our Head of Institutional Research, and Ben Rodriguez, a Senior Protocol Specialist. Immutable is a platform designed to help game developers embrace and utilize the benefits of Web3. We had a number of institutional investors present that found this conversation incredibly useful and insightful. If you're a client of Coinbase and would like to attend these events in future, please reach out to your sales contact. And without further ado, here's our conversation with Robbie Smith from Immutable. All right, thanks. Uh, just to reintroduce uh, ourselves here, I'm Ben, uh, Senior Protocol Specialist on Coinbase, Coinbase Cloud. And I'm Dave Duong, Head of Research here at Coinbase. Cloud. I think I was the only one who was <laughs> told to go to a print shop and have their name engraved on something. I don't know anyone else <laughs> got that memo. Mm. Thanks, guys. <laughs> well, I got that memo. Oh, you got that memo? And you, you, you follow it. You ignored it. Yeah, that's, that was a smart thing to do. I didn't get the memo. Yeah. Uh, and Robbie? Uh, and Robbie, co-founder of Immutable. All right, yeah. sweet. So um, can you just give us, like, start out, give us a high-level overview of Immutable and its mission for those who may not be too familiar with it? Absolutely. Uh, so Immutable is the one-stop shop for Web3 games. Uh, we are a full-stack platform to allow you to incredibly easy build a game with a real-world economy. And our mission is every single year, uh, $150 billion US dollars is spent growing 10% year-on-year on in-game items. This is not, you know, the ability to play Call of Duty, it is the costumes inside of Fortnite, the weapon skins inside of Counter-Strike Go or Call of Duty. And gamers or players get zero dollars for it. Just because they are intangible or digital, we decide that they should have zero property rights and zero secondary market value. And we started building in the space uh, way back in 2015, but we started building Immutable in 2017 when we built the first ever multiplayer on-chain blockchain game called Etherbots. Uh, it was all on-chain logic. Uh, you can play a game today because it can never go down. It'll cost you a few hundred dollars in gas fees. Do not recommend it. Uh, but we learned pretty early on that players had massive demand for this stuff, but it was almost impossible to build. It was harder than building on uh, the internet in the early days. Uh, you were essentially building on very raw toolbox for building smart contracts. And so we said, well, in the same way that you know, Steam popularized itself by first building good content, like Counter-Strike Go, and then leveraging that into the marketplace that you know, rates in close to 10 billion recurring today. We want to do the same thing for Web3 games. We want to create hit content, use that to generate the best platform for allowing anyone to build without having to know what smart contracts are. Um, so our mission really is, there's 3 billion players around the world today. We want to give them real property ownership rights for, for digital goods. Uh, and post-gaming, our thesis is the vast majority of the world's unique value and there is a hundred times more unique value in the world than there is non-unique value, will be tokenized into NFTs. It won't be digital ownership, that's the main value proposition for games, but it will be superior liquidity and superior financial utility. Uh, and we wanna be the network powering all of those trades and, and giving truly decentralized ownership to people. So, so Robbie, just to kind of set the scene a little bit, you know, Ben alluded to this uh, earlier, um, in March of this year, you guys announced this partnership with Polygon Labs. Uh, this is obviously a huge announcement. Could you kind of just explain like what drove uh, that commercially? Like why did you guys make that partnership? And could you describe the difference between Immutable X and Immutable ZKEVM? Definitely. Um, so what drove this partnership? Uh, I, I assume everyone in this room is familiar with Polygon, massive brand in the space. Uh, and the reality was at the end of last year, uh, basically our number one competition. It was a two horse race for gaming. 
You know, gaming have become the most invested in category in crypto, roughly 15 billion US invested in the last three and a half years now. Uh, and between us, uh, I think two thirds of those investments in games were either on Immutable or Polygon last year, roughly a billion US dollars invested into the portfolio games of both blockchains. Uh, and uh, at this point in time, Delphi had just put out the research showcasing those market share. And Sandeep, uh, the Polygon co-founder, called me and said, you know, we need to figure out some way to align here because we're basically competing on every deal. And if you're familiar with grants in the space, uh, grants were going from a million dollars for top games to $10 million in a week. Uh, it was very inefficient competition. And at the end of the day, these two tech stacks are actually completely compatible because we don't build at the scaling protocol layer of the stack. Uh, we really try and build up this infrastructure layer and build network effects through liquidity, consumer modes like wallets, etc. And uh, we basically partner with Polygon to do a couple of things. One is create a unified product solution, which is Immutable ZKVM, which leverages their open source ZKVM tech uh, and allows us to basically have a, a, a you know, completely compatible stack. Um, and that's actually the, one of the beautiful things about this partnership. It's kind of like Stripe uh, and AWS partnering if they were both competing over, I don't know, 80% of e-commerce. And they said, well, why don't we consolidate that market share? Those two tech stacks are completely compatible and they can have a unified product to market. Uh, obviously, there's you know um, some, some degree of uh, commercial choice there. And I think it made sense given both of our relative market shares. And the second thing is really working very closely with the go-to-market team of, of uh, Polygon. So the goal is really, you know, any game coming to Immutable or Polygon is, is going to be having this default pathway to build. Um, since this partnership, our win rate has doubled uh, close to 70% uh, if we're competing against another protocol or platform. Uh, our market share combined with Polygon is close to 60 to 70% of all Web3 games. Um, so we're really excited for ultimately how this has actually simplified developer choice. Because honestly, if you're a game and you're trying to build in the space, you already have to figure out what's my economics, what's my monetization, What's my game design? What's my go-to-market? To have additional, what blockchain do I use? And how do I think about ZK rollups versus optimistic rollups versus side chains versus plasma versus you know all of these centralized database? It's too much cognitive load, and of course, it's going to be an incredibly difficult industry to build in. So our thesis was simplify everything, make their default one-stop shop for gaming, uh, and we can you know, have great commercial results at the same time. Um, and that meant, on the product side, us uh, expanding to Immutable ZKVM, which is our main chain coming out at the end of this year. IMX is going to be the gas currency natively powering that. We have a bunch of other really nice upgrades as well. Um, and the beautiful thing is, of course, it's directly EVM compatible. Uh, I think the market has moved even since a year ago, uh, where Direct EVM compatibility is now the requirement for a lot of Web3 native games, and we actually have a barbell strategy. So it's you should be able to build directly with smart contracts, copy paste them from ETH, but you should also be able to build, if you've never heard of smart contracts, purely with APIs. And we think this is what will have the majority of adoption, especially as you have mainstream customers take off after the first hits next year, when they won't want to touch smart contracts. They just want to build with Stripe-like APIs. And this has really always been our thesis for the long tail. Sweet. So, you know, speaking about Polygon, uh, ZKVM, you're building uh, you're in partnership with them. So yeah. uh, the thing is, Polygon announced like earlier in the year, Polygon 2.0. They just released a poll contracts like earlier this week. So and they have this vision of this multi-chain, like a set of ZK rollups. Yeah. That. So will you be part of this Polygon, like, you know, multi-chain 2.0 kind of vision with that? Is that part of what? Very much so. Yeah. So we, we really want to be ultimately, uh, you know, 
rollup agnostic in the long term, we think there's going to have to be hundreds of rollups to cater for the scale of even gaming itself. Like imagine one World of Warcraft, you're probably going to need a few thousand TPS to support that game. That's basically the, the kind of upper limits of a single dedicated ZK powered rollup today. The problem is every new rollup fragments liquidity. Um, and liquidity fragmentation is something we think about very deeply because liquidity fragmentation occurs at three different main levels of the stack today. You have uh, protocol level fragmentation. Every new blockchain fragments liquidity. You have to recreate user funds from scratch. This is the whole reason we have the chain rotation thesis. I really recommend reading Chainlink God's uh, chain rotation thesis piece on Medium, five minute read, which goes into this theory of every single time there is a bull run, you have congestion on the ETH mainnet. This creates uh, high transaction and high gas and it creates the justification for new, better chains, which are basically ETH clones with reduced decentralization to improve throughput. But in order for those chains to bootstrap liquidity, they have to raise hundreds of millions of dollars from VCs. And the reason is because you can't just inherit the liquidity of other chains. Everyone is trying to build this island from scratch because there's very limited technology to bridge things. So that, that's the first problem. The, the second two ways that liquidity is fragmented is at the, the wallet layer and at the marketplace layer. And, and we've solved both of those today with our global order book and with the middle passport. Uh, but the next and the final frontier out of the three is really cross roll up liquidity. Um, and our kind of combined vision with Polygon here is you should be able to trade any trade on any roll up in any game or in any marketplace. And that should be atomically settleable, pretty much invisible to the end user with shared security. Uh, and that way we can take all these listings, all of these trades from, I don't know, your World of Warcraft chain and you want to buy a, an asset over here on like League of Legends chain, you've got 50 bucks in your wallet over here on this blockchain, you should be able to purchase this with instant settlements from any rollup without even knowing what's going on under the hood. Uh, I think until we hit there, we really haven't proven out this vision of liquidity for Web2 and, and I think that's the, the kind of mission over the next 12 months for crypto. So. We've kind of been teasing the idea of Passport now. You just kind of mentioned yeah. it again. Uh, Coindesk, I believe, called it one of the uh, projects to watch in 2023, saying it's going to onboard the next billion users into gaming. So can you just kind of walk us through, like, what is Passport? How does it fit into your broader strategy? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Passport is a consumer wallet solution uh, dedicated to games. Uh, the point of Passport is to solve a few problems with wallets today. The main problem with wallets is they're either uh, terrible to use or they're custodial, which means that they hold the keys on your behalf, which puts massive existential risk uh, and also massive regulatory risk for that company. Or if they solve one and two, they're easy to use and they're non-custodial, they do it in a way that means that the liquidity is fragmented to that particular wallet. Um, so our, our solution is basically to try and solve all three at once, the trilemma. Um, and the problem with a lot of problems with, with wallets today is if you have invisible signing, inside of a game, which is essential to a good user experience. You want to be able to purchase an asset without having to link out to a MetaMask or, or some kind of other wallet. The only way you can really accomplish that today is with an NPC if you want to do it self-custodially, which is basically you know, a, a private key held in the cloud. It's technically in your legal self-custody. The problem, though, is you have to give elevated privileges to that game in order to transact on your behalf to make it seamless inside the game experience. In order to mean that, say, if you do this inside of Alluvium or Gods Unchained, that you can't sign on another game's behalf, you create a siloed new wallet on your MPC per game. So again, we're fragmenting liquidity. Suddenly, if a user deposits 50 bucks of funds into Wallet A, they can't spend that on Wallet B or Wallet C, or games built on Wallet B 
or wallet C. And this whole thing is nuts, right? It's like the app store, but every single time you want to pay for a new game, you have to re-register the app store, redeposit funds, and re-register your credit card. Or Steam platform, if you have to redeposit funds, every new game you're going to build, there is zero network value in it. And so uh, our solution is uh, basically a wallet NPC, but with a co-signatory on every transaction called Immutable Guardian. Um, and this uses a, a heuristics-based mission system to say, hey, I want to delegate permissions to this game to be able to spend up to $20 of value or merge $20 of value. Uh, and that way you can actually have one wallet for every single game, shared deposits, shared liquidity, fully self-custodial with completely invisible in-game signing. Um, so that's Immutable Passports. It is available in Testnet on ZKVM and live on Immutable X. I'll be going live from day one on uh, Immutable ZKVM. And I think uh, almost 100% of the games building us today are signed up to you soon, which is really exciting. That's really awesome. That like so like this is like such like a like innovative thing and whatnot and like you know what you know the thing that I want to talk about a little bit more about fragmented liquidity is because you just mentioned immutable X as well, right? Immutable X is on a different stack, so yeah. X, right? Yeah. And Polygon and you're on Polygon ZK ABM, yeah. immutable ZK ABM, right? So that technically is fragmenting liquidity, isn't it? Yeah. So how how do you plan on figuring that specific thing out? Uh, it's a great question. So I think at first <laughs> we will have shared liquidity for uh, the uh, sort of ZK EVM uh, stacks because they all have the same security model and the same roll-up logic, but the goal is longer term to share it to Immutable X. The benefit is they both use ZK roll-ups. So I think like one of the axioms of shared liquidity is your security is as strong as your weakest link. So let's say you have shared liquidity above like 100 chains, 99 is ZK powered, one's a side chain, the bridge gets hacked. Suddenly that bridge becomes an exploit for every the value secured on every 99 of these chains, right? Because you can transact value between them. And so you need to have the same security or consensus model or, or proof model underneath all of these. You know, our view is personally, ZK rollups are the long-term future of scaling. Vitalik Buterin would agree. Uh, I think it's you know pretty clear, you know, even the 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 optimistic solutions of the world are eventually going to migrate to some form of like uh, validity-based proofs rather than uh, you know optimistic proofs because it, it's simply sort of strictly superior in the long term. Um, but our thoughts are pretty much, you know, we want to be able to create shared security faster. And the way that you can accomplish that is with using the same stack for, for a bunch of this stuff. Um, so we took the bet with Immutable X, that was basically the first ZK proofs available in production, which is built by StarkX, but they weren't EVM compatible. It was app specific rollups. You could only do very limited transactions and functionality. And that was literally the first ZK proofs available in market. I remember talking to our board about this and they were like, are you, are you about to bet the company on a science experiment? And we're like, we really believe this is the future. Um, but now we're getting to the stage where you have EVM compatible ZK rollups, which we think are going to be sort of the final frontier of scaling for pretty much everything. So you think that's going to be the pivot? Like everyone's going to like move to this and what's going to have the optimistic rollups in this vision that you have? Well, I, I think you'll, you know, th th those companies will still exist. I think it's just likely that validity proofs in, in the long term are, are going to be used for the majority of uh, those solutions. That's my personal opinion. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, it's a, we're at a very interesting time right now where like, you know, ZK rollups are starting to come online and right, optimistic rollups still has a like, much of the liquidity and stuff like that. So it's very, very interesting to see how this is going to play. I, I might actually add one more thing on that, sure, which yeah. is um, yeah. optimistic rollups don't work as well for <coughs> NFTs. So I think there's a big difference between fundable use cases and NFT use cases. The main difference being like, if I'm trying to withdraw NFTs uh, via ZK rollups, because of instant finality and because they're validity-based proofs, I can do so. The way that sort of you know optimistic rollups get around the withdrawal time problem is through market making. So like I'll have a bridge, you want to withdraw, I don't know, 100 million USDC, I can kind of loan it to you and there's some collateralized uh, you know, value there and you have a company 
performing that service. But the problem is for NFTs, I can't kind of collateralize or, or loan you a one-of-a-kind NFT. And so it's very, very difficult to provide that instant liquidity for NFTs. The other problem is for uh, cross-roll-up liquidity, you don't have instant finality. Um, one of the cool things we can do, because of our global order book, which basically allows you to trade uh, on any marketplace or any trading venue, we can actually, as soon as you bid on an asset, like say on chain A, you bid with chain A funds on an asset on chain B, we can lock down bids on that asset so that you can't get front run, which pretty much no one else can do. Um, but because of our vertical integration around the audible player, we can provide this unified liquidity. Sweet, sweet, yeah. Now, so the thing is like right now, we're at a point in the market where people are starting to look at decentralization of rollups, right? What does that mean? I feel like, you know, maybe if you've been on like Twitter or X, you'll see that like there's like conversations about what does it mean to be a decentralized rollup? So that's the question I have for you. What does it mean to be a decentralized rollup in, in the case of immutable, right? Yeah. Um, what is your thesis on that, right? As opposed to like, there's like proof of stake, proof of governance, yeah. all that stuff. Right? So I'd say the first and most important aspect of decentralization is the validity of the proofs that you're submitting. Um, and so I'd argue that you know even immutable X, which is the sequencer is completely centralized. Uh, so for instance, if, if immutable wanted to censor transactions, we could, because that was sort of the first iteration of this. We could never lie about state and the state could never be fraudulent. And I think that is the most important thing because it means user funds can never be lost. Uh, I think censorship is a much better compromise to make and uh, a lot of the compromises will be made in favor of the, the other way around. Um, so again, that's why we've always opted for validity-based proofs. Obviously over time, the goal is to decentralize uh, sequences. The goal is you know, in other rollups to actually use pr these proofs. A, a lot of uh, the main sort of solutions in market today aren't actually using any form of um, even optimistic-based proofs. They're, they're kind of just using a, 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 you know, a single solution. Um, and then I think you have, uh, how do you decentralize like validators as well? And um, so for the first time, we're gonna be able to have a lot of this on immutable CKVM, which is really exciting. Awesome. So uh, one of the other partnerships you've had is with uh, Amazon Web Services. Yeah. Uh, you know, like how does something like that kind of factor into your tech stack? <laughs> you know, we're, we're getting all these kinds of like web two names, partnerships yeah. that are kind of creeping in here. Like what does this mean for the overall kind of gaming environment? Yeah, I mean, look, the Amazon partnership is, is really just about two things. Um, one, uh, it's working together on the go-to-market side. So if games want to find a Web3 platform, we can kind of refer them. Um, the majority of our stack is, you know, obviously at, at some point built on AWS. A lot of our games are built on AWS, and there's also streamlined credits. Um, I would say that's the core of, of what they're doing, and really Amazon views this as a channel partnership right now. I think what is telling is uh, Amazon cloud infrastructure very much views Web3 as a massively growing market, and they very much want to find the right referral relationships, you have GCP on their tail, um, trying to chase this stuff as well. And I think that's a good indication of where they see a lot of the usage for cloud in the future being. So, um, you know, you're talking about gaming and right now, like, you know, there, I feel like sometimes there's like a little bit of like a bad taste in a lot of gamers and game developers mouths about like gaming on Web3 and crypto and stuff like that, right? So what in, in your opinion is going to be, like as an investor, what is it gonna take for uh, gaming to break out in the next cycle, right? Like, you know, yeah. what are what are some of those things, and what do you what do you try to do to like win the the mind share of gamers and game developers? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is, there, is there another mob besides play to earn? By the way, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, so play to earn for anyone who doesn't know is this concept of games where your user acquisition is driven by uh, incentives you give to players by them earning either stable coins or you know NFTs that are valued by playing the game. Um, and that was proven to be a model that didn't really work through Axie Infinity, which obviously had this 
you know, giant peak and then crash. And my, I, I have a few opinions on this. The first is we're not going to solve it by talking about it. Um, obviously, the, the real key difference when we've proven this out is when at least a million people play a Web3 game without knowing it's Web3 under the hood. And they just experience the benefit of NFTs. And that's why if you go to any of the games that we've published, Gods Unchained, Guild of Guardians, you don't see the word NFT anywhere on the website. And these are websites we launched in 2018 because our vision is always, it should be about the value that is given to players through property rights. If I could give them those property rights through another technology, we would use that technology. The technology is Web3. Uh, one of my, uh, my, my least liked things about NFTs is people fundamentally associate NFTs with this idea of board apes or like PFPs. They're fine, I have nothing against them. I've never been that interested in having them on the platform and that's because they're fundamentally speculative rather than being utility driven. There is no need to speculate around the future of Web3 gaming. People trade $12 billion of Counter-Strike Go skins every single year, and they get very little, little to show for it. In fact, a few years ago, Valve decided to trade lock all assets. So you could only trade them at most once per week. Op skins, a $300 million marketplace went belly up. That uh, transformed into WAX, and players lost hundreds of millions of dollars and hundreds of millions of hours of time. And so our thesis is this is not some speculative thing around how you know DEXs are going to revolutionize Forex exchanges in the future. It's people already spend this much money and they get so little show for it. Why don't we do a 10x improvement? As to the question, which is when will we see the first hits and we have mainstream, I think really up until like by pretty in the last few months, the limiting factors have been infrastructure. You didn't have good credit card on ramps. You didn't have good uh, scaling solutions. Uh, you didn't have good enough wallet experiences. Wallet experiences really have been a limiting factor. If you think about games, the way they compete is through user acquisition. Uh, and basically the whole cost is how can you drive down UA as low as possible? Wallet drop-off is like 98% today. If you ask a Web2 user to install MetaMask, 98% of them are, are, are dropping off at that point in time. And so you're literally uh, making your customer acquisition cost 50 times more expensive. So that's been really the limiting factor on the infrastructure side. Now the bottleneck is content, where all of the games that were funded, you know, people often ask me like, why has Web3 Gaming not had its first hits yet? And like that's that's kind of the first solution, but really it's content timelines. This is not DeFi. This is not you you shove a billion dollars in and Andre Cronier prompts out like production code a month later. This is games take time to build between two to four plus years. A lot of the early builders were DeFi specialists uh, who may have, know a lot about the tokenomic side but are not used to building games. The games that were invested in two to three years ago are going live next year. Um, we have a fully bottoms up pipeline of all of this. We have 20 plus high quality games going live in the next six months alone. Then um, it kind of ramps up from there. So like my hypothesis is you're gonna have probably three to five uh, reasonably sized games come up next year. And it only takes one, right? Gaming is super hit driven. Um, it's partially the reason why it's less structurally attractive for VCs to invest in is it's very idiosyncratic. The biggest game is gonna do more volume than the rest of them combined. It'll be entirely power law driven. Like we already see this, right? Counter-Strike Go does more volume than every other game in the world combined. Uh, Axie Infinity did pretty much more NFT volume than every other collection in the world combined. I think like four and a half billion in six months. Um, we're gonna see hits and they're gonna dwarf the rest of NFT's volume by an order of magnitude, um, even with something as small as a million players. Uh, so that, that's my thesis. I think there's a, a ton of good games coming out and it's the roadblocks have now been removed. Let me just kind of focus on one thing, though, because, you know, you guys set the standard for user experience. Uh, and this is what you're trying to establish across, like, uh, GameFi as yeah. a whole. 
big part of that tends to be account abstraction, for example, yeah. which is a, has been a big focus even before we started really yeah. hammering on this topic this year. Um, can you kind of just talk about how that kind of fits into your broader strategy and philosophies of how you're kind of building this? In terms of ease of use or? In terms of ease of use, like the removal of gas fees, yes. all those kinds of things. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, I think a lot of blockchain's design today actually is designed for developers, not designed for consumers. Uh, and the final way we use blockchain will not look at all like how we use it today. That will be how developers build on it. Um, but the idea of paying for gas fees or having to buy uh, ETH to pay for gas fees, we thought was something that would kill uh, user friction. So one of the cool things I'm, I'm really proud of actually is uh, obviously on Immutable X, we can offer it completely gas free because it's an app specific rollup. Uh, but we're actually rolling out the same thing on Immutable ZK EVM through gas abstraction, where you'll be able to essentially, as a developer, pay for gas on behalf of your users. They will never have to load up on ETH in order to pay for this, but you're still having the, the network secured under the hood. A, a lot of these are pretty obvious if you ask anyone from Web2 to come in and use this stuff. Um, but because the majority of developers in Web3 are so Web3 native, it's almost like seeing the woods for the trees sometimes and, and people get very used to these concepts. Um, so yeah, where I, I think gas-free is essential for gamers, quite frankly. I'm about 10 years removed from gaming, but like I, when, well, I, as we're talking about it, I'm like, damn, I did spend a lot of money on games. <laughs> like a real big amount. Yeah. So yeah. Um, so I think, uh, you know, a question that like, you know, maybe it's, maybe fun for some people, fun for other, uh, not fun for other people, is um, how does the IMX token play into everything? We briefly spoke about it yeah. before, about it and whatnot. What's like the utility fee model? And what is like the most in, uh, misunderstood parts about, about IMX? Yeah, like yeah, perfect, great question. Um, uh, obviously if we're on this sort of on-market roadshow as well. Uh, so IMX is essentially the, the utility uh, underpinning every single transaction on the network, on any marketplace, on any roll-up. Um, and its main utility, we, we kind of wanted to start up and just make sure it had like clear utility and yield. And that means every single transaction on the network, there's a, a protocol fee of, of 2%, uh, which is taken irrespective of the marketplace on which it trades, thanks to our global order book. And 20% of that fee must be paid for in the IMX token. So you essentially have this you know, a share of value going to token holders that is distributed via staking to anyone who is an active participant in the network. And one of the coolest things is every single person who trades on the network is receiving and earning IMX. Because our vision was always, if we have 100 million gamers, every single one of them should somehow be able to own part of this network. And not just the game they're playing in, but the underlying mission of this company decentralizing user ownership. Um, I would say the most misunderstood thing about the token uh, is probably A, it's kind of clear utility, um, but B, how we run the supply side of things. Um, I'm sure like half people in this room are familiar with grants, like the, the giant sums of tokens given out by blockchains uh, with varying ROI are typically very poor um, in order to incentivize adoption of their blockchains, uh, partially because a lot of blockchains don't really have business models today. Uh, and our view has been, so over half of the immutable uh, token issued by the foundation is allocated to ecosystem incentives, so essentially to grants. But the way we approach this was by ruthlessly working out the ROI on every single grant given. Um, and basically every single grant we give out of the foundation is underwritten. In order for games to get it, they have to drive volume to the protocol, which then of course drives utility consumption of IMX. Uh, and the stats on that are pretty insane. So I think we've roughly allocated just under 20% uh, uh, of this ecosystem grant supply today, 180 million tokens out of 1.1 billion tokens. And in order for those tokens to actually be earned by those games, 
uh, I think $12 billion in protocol volume has to be earned, which is you know, a quarter billion dollars in, in fees likely recurring. Um, and of course, because uh, games are hit driven, 90% of the games will not hit those milestones. Those tokens will revert to foundation control, ready to be respent. Uh, that takes the billion dollar war chest and more like 10 billion today. And the games that do succeed will massively out earn those milestones and then receive incentive alignment. Um, the games love it because they know the value is protected. We're not skimming it out willy nilly uh, based on low ROI partnerships. And it protects us massively during bull runs when it's very hard to <coughs> work out signal from noise and who's legitimate in the space because ultimately everyone has to prove their value to the network. Um, so that's probably the most misunderstood component. So before we turn it over to the uh, audience for any questions, uh, any exciting upgrades that we should be aware of? Uh, any key milestones for the upgrade path? Yeah. Um, What's up on mind for you? Yeah, what's top of mind? Uh, we are about to announce uh, the biggest game we've ever onboarded to the platform in the next couple of weeks, uh, which is really exciting. Um, also top of mind is uh, Mainnet launch December, January, uh, which will unlock all of the games pretty much building, the majority of games they're building on ZKVM right now. Uh, and then we have a lot of structural upgrades uh, to tokenomics and more coming with that Mainnet launch. I won't go into the details until they're announced, but we're, we're pretty excited about that. Um, yeah, those are probably the, the main things. Sweet. Sweet. Awesome. Thank you so much. No, thank you so much, guys. Yeah. yeah, I really appreciate it. All statements and analysis correspond to the date of this recording. This recording is only intended for sophisticated investors. This recording should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. Neither Coinbase nor any of its affiliates make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any of the information contained in this recording. The views expressed in this recording are not necessarily those of Coinbase. Coinbase is not providing any financial, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations. The receipt of this recording by any listener is not to be taken as a giving of investment advice by Coinbase to that listener.